Hi, trendsetters. Welcome to another episode of That Trendy Therapist. Today, I have a really exciting episode for you guys, actually all about narcissism and narcissistic abuse. And I have a special guest to help me with this episode, Alina, and she is a narcissistic abuse expert. She's a speaker, media consultant, and author. And she's actually coming out with a book called Swimming with Sharks, Surviving Narcissist Infested Waters. And she's the founder and CEO of Coastal Light Counseling. Um, Alina and I discuss in this episode all about narcissism, pathological narcissism, as she calls it, and narcissistic abuse and the different themes around relationships that consist of narcissism and narcissistic abuse. And it's a very informative episode, and I can't wait for you guys to jump in and hear it. So without further ado, let's dive in. So hi, Alina. How are you? Hi, Emma. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, so I think introducing myself first, right? Yeah, an introduction to you. Yeah, so my full name is pronounced Alina Shigano. No one ever gets that right, um, <laughs> so that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, my uh, my credential credentialing background is a licensed professional counselor, and I let's see, I have been in private practice for my whole career. I now own a I own a group practice. I started it back in 2018, and mm-hmm. so I have. A bunch of therapists, uh, amazing therapists who work um, work for my group practice and an amazing uh, man- practice manager. Mm-hmm. And um, I have specialized in narcissistic abuse and pathological narcissism for my entire licensed career. Um, wow. It, it kind of started during my residency um, mm-hmm. and not, not on purpose. It just slowly happened. It just happened. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And where so, are you located again? Uh, so I live in Virginia, in Virginia Beach, Norfolk area. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's that's where the pra- that's where the practice is. But it's uh, we also do teletherapy, and I have therapists who live elsewhere. Um, oh, awesome! So it's kind of a you can live anywhere kind of a thing. Right, right, right. These days, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's great. Very cool. Yeah, so um, I was really excited to obviously do this podcast with you because I haven't really talked about um, narcissism or narcissistic abuse or any of that on the podcast before. Um, And so this is also just like an introduction, I think, for people that don't really know anything about the topic or how to even spot it Mm -hmm. if they're in this kind of relationship. And so I thought maybe we could start with a little bit of like how, like what is a narcissist and also just how to spot one. How does people, how do people know if they're in a relationship with a narcissist? Oh goodness. The, that sounds like an easy question and both of them <laughs> sound like simple, easy No, easy I know questions. it's a lot to unpack for sure. But they, yeah, they are so much more complicated than they seem. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just go and find a narcissist uh, based on how the um, DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual are. Mm-hmm. clinical, I mean, you know this, I'm just sharing for mm-hmm. the audience, you know, our, our clinical uh, guidelines in terms of um, diagnosing and um, figuring out treatment plans and things like that. Um, so there's narcissistic personality disorder in there, um, mm-hmm. which at this point, 
the well i wouldn't say general consensus but general consensus among i think those of us who work with narcissistic abuse so the people who are on the receiving end of the pathological narcissists um behaviors uh which there aren't many of us um i, th I think it's kind of a, a general consensus that the um npd uh diagnosis does not cover nearly at all any of I'm, I'm not saying that right but it doesn't cover the whole breadth of what it means to be a pathological narcissist mm -hmm. and it really only addresses um one type which is more of the grandiose type mm. so can we unpack that a little bit because i think that that's also something people don't know is that there are different forms of narcissism right yeah um so when so okay so let me let me also share that i really i don't like using the um i don't like using npd narcissistic personality disorder i kind of mm -hmm. learned from experience to not do that um okay is that based but, on like just the reactions that you know uh not so much reactions more so um the nuances you mm. know also just it being unnecessary you know I'm not, I'm not seeing these, these people. I'm seeing the people who are in relationships with them, whatever kind of right. relationship. So mm -hmm. I don't need to give them a diagnosis. Um, right. But what I can do is identify their personality characteristics and the mm -hmm. overall traits that they have. And so the word narcissism, you know, is kind of a, a descriptor. Um, mm -hmm. And personally, I like to, I like to add in pathological to it, pathological mm. narcissism. Okay. Um, some people disagree with this, but as I was taught in graduate school, um, so I, I guess there's just different lines of thought on this. There is um, uh, narcissism is on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so there is a healthy level of narcissism at one end and the very toxic level at the other end. Mm. Um, and so the healthy level is what you see in adolescents, teenagers. Um, it's, you know, it's that uh, focus on self, really. Mm -hmm. um, the focus inward and is not based on insecurity or mm -hmm. low self-esteem. Whereas when you start getting over onto the toxic side of the spectrum, that is based on, completely on uh, low self-esteem and, and deep insecurity. Mm. Right. And that's even, I think, novel for some people. They don't realize that there is a spectrum, let alone like a healthy kind of version of this. Mm -hmm. of this. And I mean, some people disagree with that, but mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's what I believe. Um, sure. So, you know, I can't, I can't speak for all uh, clinicians out there. Yes. Right, right. So, okay. Yeah. So I guess getting back into, you know, how would someone know or, you know, what does it look like, I guess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't even start covering that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what, what happens is the narcissist is trying to protect their sense of self mm -hmm. and not only not let people see who other people see who they really are, but they're also too insecure to look at who they really are 
Mm. They're too, and I mean, this is all on a subconscious level, you know, they're not aware yeah. of this, but of they're course. too afraid to look inside and potentially see any flaws or faults, which we all have, and mm-hmm. which is perfectly normal and healthy. Um, so it's not even so much fault, faults and flaws, you know, it's just different ways of being, which mm-hmm. I think would help them, would help them be able to look at themselves a little bit better if they could think of it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely, Yeah. Um, but what I like the analogy, I I use the analogy with my patients of bubble wrap. So what they're essentially doing Uh is they wrap their sense of self in bubble wrap a bunch of times. So there are a lot of layers of bubble wrap and, and they (laughs) not, so, you know, it's almost like taking some precious, um, heirloom, you know, or some, something precious in your home that's breakable that Mm -hmm. you don't want to break and so you wrap it in bubble wrap and pack it away to try to keep it safe um so they're doing that with their sense of self but yeah. then on top of that they then use um they then behave in certain ways that are outward um kind of pushing people away almost like holding their arms out at mm. a distance like okay, I may be wrapped in bubble wrap, but I still don't want you getting too close and taking a chance of breaking my sense of self. Mm, Right. It's like a fragile, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very fragile. And so they're, you know, they're not only protecting, protecting that, but they're also pushing people away. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, there are any number of ways that they can do that. Um, You know, I mean, just manipulation is one of the biggest ones. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been posting videos on the, you've seen them, on the yes. manipulation tactics of, mm-hmm. of narcissists, pathological narcissists. And uh, so, you know, I mean, controlling behaviors, coercive control, mm-hmm. gaslighting is a really um, major one. Yeah, one. yeah that, that's a major one, but it's, it also seems major because people like talking about it a lot. Right. Um, it's but overused, I, right? Well, I don't, it's, I mean, I can't say it's overused. I can just, I can say that sometimes it's misused. Mm, um, yeah. It, a lot of times people will use that just because they see some sort of toxic behavior and they're like, oh, they're gaslighting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But it's only gaslighting if the behavior makes you question your reality, your, mm. you know, your sense of reality. Um mm-hmm you know, and, and your, and, and sometimes even your own sanity. So right. those are the times when you're putting your hands in your hair and pu- trying, you know, and like pulling your hair out. Right. You're like, Oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's, I know he said this thing. I know she said this thing, you know? Um, right. And you feel like and they're saying they crazy. didn't. Yeah. Right. You feel like you're crazy and right. You're actually, well, not. I mean, sometimes it actually does get to such an extreme that people actually do question themselves and mm-hmm. they do wonder, did that really happen? Mm-hmm. I think earlier on, it's probably more like, um, they are, uh, sorry, my mind jumped ahead. There's my ADHD oh. kicking in <laughs> um, <laughs> early on. It's a little bit more just the hair pulling. Like they, they recognize that the, um, that what they remember is correct. They're mm-hmm. just frustrated with the narcissist denying it. Right. Um, but then it can move into a place of really literally people start feeling like they're going crazy and they question mm-hmm. themselves. So with that, like, what kind of, I guess, not what kind of person, but like, what would be a reason that somebody might 
kind of find themselves in a relationship with a pathological narcissist? A reason why? Um, Like certain themes or similarities you see between uh, clients of yours that are in mm -hmm. these types of relationships. Yes, the theme that I um, pretty much always see is that they grew up with a narcissist in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, usually it's a parent. Sometimes it's not, but um, but yeah, that's usually mm-hmm. you know. I'll, and I'll have people come in and they're you know they're in to talk about their their spouse or their partner, and they're talking about how great their parents are. And, you know, and I'm not like, oh, you know, I, you know, I bet your parents are narcissists, like right away. Right. (laughs) Well, you know, slowly over time, we end up kind of digging through the layers into their childhood and I'll start noticing patterns that they share and, and just pointing out little things here and there that indicate, Hey, you know, that behavior that your mom, you know, had going on really wasn't very healthy. Like, you know, Mm. And it's, you know, it makes sense that you thought it was or that you thought it was normal because that's all you knew. But but that really was more of an abusive type thing. Um, mm-hmm. I have to use the word abuse carefully. A lot of people are very sensitive to mm-hmm. that. Um, they're, they're like, what? No, I wasn't abused. And that's just a whole other, you know, right. bag of stuff, you know, just not wanting to think of their parent as abusive not mm-hmm. wanting to think of themselves as having been abused, you know, right. are, when you start looking at narcissists in your life and you start thinking about what the ones that you have dealt with and how they've been a part of your life, it really starts shifting your identity and, you know, making mm-hmm. people question their identity. Um, so they start to have to accommodate that sorry go ahead oh no yeah I was just gonna say like how so in terms of like the questioning of the identity yeah um well like so if, if they're coming you know when they're talking about a, a partner mm-hmm. um and and it's kind of more um more so like the longer someone has been in the relationship you know so when they're coming in after having been married for 20 30 years um it's definitely more to to the extreme um but people, you know, people are like, I, I, you know, I can't believe that I let this happen to me. Mm. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's like, I'm not as strong as I thought I was, or, you know, uh, right. I can't, I can't be an abuse victim. Like, mm-hmm. that's not who I am. Um, right. right. You know, that then even, you know, we form our identity throughout, you know, it's, it's, it's developing throughout childhood and very much so based on how we interact with our parents and our attachment with our parents or other caregivers. Mm. And so when you look back as an adult and you start seeing your, your parent or other caregiver through a different lens, through the, through, through the real, a more realistic lens of, Oh, my parents were abusive or my, you know, parent was abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Like, it just does something in your mind to it's, it's almost like almost like an earthquake or something. It just makes yeah. things unsteady. Right. You know, it's like, it's like there's this rumbling and you mm-hmm. can't quite get your, your feet, you know, eventually the earthquake is going to stop. And we're talking about like a, a mild earthquake, 
Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's there. It's that underlying. No, it's, yeah. Definitely reconstructing your whole kind of view of your own history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, not, and not just history, but the identity that was built mm-hmm. off of that history. Right. Your current sense of self as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, in your work, what are some common like symptoms or themes of, you know, the abuse or the narcissistic abuse that come up? You mean the kinds of, of yeah, the kinds, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's see, definitely, um, I definitely see a lot, just a lot of variations of manipulation, um, what else let's see the coercive control um and what is just can you define that for people that don't know yeah control yeah yeah so I mean you know control like you know it, it is a form of control but this this is a little bit more extreme um you know to, to coerce is trying to get someone to do something that you want them to do but it kind of has more of a sinister tone mm-hmm. to it um so basically, this is um, intimidating and potentially humiliating someone into giving up their freedom of choice, um, mm. which creates an unequal power dynamic. And so it's, it's just an overall way to um, mm-hmm. to control, kind of throws throws you off kilter, mm-hmm. off balance. So then they can you know swoop in and take control. Um, which I feel like isn't that kind of like a common tactic, just in general of getting the uh, person off balance so that, you know, they're kind of questioning themselves and you can kind of, the narcissist yeah. kind of step in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, we can get back to some more of the um, themes of the yeah, uh, yeah. behaviors that I see, but you made me think, you know, one thing I want to point out that I don't, I don't feel like other people either realize or do a great job of covering um, Mm-hmm. is the fact that the narcissists are not usually doing these things intentionally. Mm. These are subconscious action, you know, um, motivated actions that are happening. Mm. They are not like, oh, let me, you know, they're not consciously thinking, oh, let me get this person off kilter. You know, that's more, right. of, a, more of a sociopath who's going mm-hmm. to, who's going to be aware, uh, who ha- is going to have that self-awareness of, their manipulation and I mean they're you know they're the types that that take pleasure from you know controlling right. someone manipulating someone um and so it's it's more so going to be your sociopathic narcissist who is mm-hmm. at that end but your your everyday pathological narcissist is not realizing what they're doing they have no idea they mm-hmm. it's essentially a, these are all survival mechanisms for them they're mm-hmm. just trying to survive. They live their life in a state of survival. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about like, you know, also how does someone become, you know, narcissistic or what is their upbringing maybe like that they would develop some of these qualities? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we can come back to that if, or yeah, yeah. start yeah. talking about it now. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that it's important for people to understand that this is not um, intentional. So 
Um, in the book that I'm writing, Swimming with Sharks, uh, mm -hmm. Surviving Narcissist Infested Waters, the reason why I use, why I'm talking about sharks is um, because I think that they're a perfect um, analogy and exactly what I would love for the world to start uh, correlating with narcissists. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people will talk about the narcissist having been like Prince Charming when they first met. Um, and my concern or the, the problems I see with that, that happen over and over and over, um, is that people don't realize they never, the, the narcissist actually never was Prince Charming, but they're mm -hmm. waiting around for a really long time for them to turn into Prince Charming. Um, right. I use, I, I talk, I, I actually have, um, I created my own story called Mermaid and the Narcissist. Which oh, I is, love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Mermaid and the Narcissist. Mermaid and the Shark. Mermaid and the Shark, right. <laughs> the yep. Can't remember yep. the name of my own thing. But it's just a really short thing at the beginning of the book. Um, but it's mm -hmm. a, you know, it parallels Beauty and the Beast. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And one thing I point out is that um, in Beauty and the Beast, when you watch the very beginning what you see is a, a prince who is a, an awful pathological narcissist. Mm -hmm. He is so cruel that he, you know, throws a woman in need off of his property and won't help her. Right. Um, right. I mean, that's just, that's just cruel. Yeah. And so, you know, we're watching, you know, these, this fairy tale and hoping for the beast to turn back into the prince but oh my gosh, we don't want him to turn back into that prince. Like mm -hmm. that, that's that so true. Awful. So the likelihood mm -hmm. of of the of the beast real. I mean, obviously it's not likely at all. But <laughs> the likelihood, <laughs> the, the, as far as the parallels go, the likelihood of a beast mm -hmm. turning back into a man and being a good, kind, mm -hmm. loving man is it's just not, it's, it's, it just would never happen. It's very low. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not even that it's, it's low. It just, I don't like wouldn't happen. The, yeah. The likelihood yeah. of that happening is so, um, so minimal, but the problem is that these fairy tales that we have been told and watched and have watched growing up, um, they have, created I mean I say they kind of have brainwashed us they've created this idea in our minds that anyone can be redeemed and mm -hmm. can you know become better and so that is something that humans just tend to believe as mm -hmm. as a as a truth you know um, right. I know you talk about truth a lot yeah so this is this is the truth of yeah that they're not going to turn back into um, or turn into Prince Charming because they never were Prince Charming to begin mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. um, so I call this like the fairy tale paradigm versus uh, the shark tale paradigm. And so where I want to get people to is accepting the shark tale paradigm, which is that mm -hmm. the narcissist always was a shark, which I didn't cover yet why I say shark. So, yeah. I, you know, would you jump in the water with a shark? No, of course not. Yeah. If you're like out swimming in the water and you see a fin, what are you going to do? Run away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. You're going to get out of that water uh -huh. as quickly as you possibly can. 
Right. Because you know that a shark is a shark. You right. know what its nature is. You know, and and there's there's no doubt in your mind. And you're not going to sit there and hope that this one will be nice and mm-hmm. leave you alone. You know, you're just not going to take take a chance. Right. Um, yeah. And so if we if everyone could just start thinking of narcissists like that, then mm. they would stop waiting around and being hurt and being sucked in to these relationships. And because what happens is, and and there are many, many reasons why, but what happens is once you're sucked in and you've bought into the relationship and you, you just don't feel like you can let go, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just my uh, train of thought went away, but (laughs) (laughs) no, that's okay. Well, is it also because like when you're in the relationship, there's all these tactics that are being done, obviously that, you know, make it difficult and, you know, for you to let go. Um, sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes narcissists are pretty awful, like all the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, we were talking about uh, the personality disorder, which is the grandiose type, but there's also the other type that is referred to as vulnerable or um, there, there's also covert and overt. Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that because I've heard about the covert and overt kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I was in a uh, workshop with Dr. Romney a couple of week- weekends ago. Um, she's a fantastic for pathological narcissism. Um, oh, has great. tons of YouTube videos up. So I highly oh, recommend yeah. anyone um, who wants to learn more, go to her because I know that she is, she's a good source to go oh, to. Amazing. I'll put it in the, sh- what's her name again? Dr. Romani Dervasala, and I can send you. um, Yeah, that would be great. Um, But yeah, she's a, she's a psychologist, um, you know, professor uh, at this point retired, but professor for years um, really knows her stuff. And Mm. um, so she's, she's a good resource, but uh, she was sharing that, you know, because people will say, will say covert and overt narcissist. And she was sharing, well, no, it's actually they're grandiose or they're vulnerable. And mm. then their behaviors or what's going on inside inside of them or out or projected out of them are overt or covert. So the covert mm. being their thoughts and feelings, the overt being their behaviors and actions. So mm. my the thing that I don't care for when it comes to that terminology, I would much prefer to refer to narcissists as a covert versus overt. Um, Mm-hmm. It could be because I live right next to a naval base where the SEALs practice. So, you know, like the idea of covert operations, <laughs> right? Or, you know, like a regular thing here. True. But, um, but, the, yeah. but the reason being because, you know, if, if, if you don't mind me asking you, you know, what do you think of when you think of someone as being vulnerable? Well, I think that just in a general sense. Well, I guess more so what would your, what's your reaction? If you hear, oh, this person is vulnerable. What's your mm-hmm. internal reaction? Kind of like, you know, they need to be taken care of. Exactly. Or maybe. Yeah. Kind of compassion, right? Yeah. Compassion. Yeah. Compassion. Yeah. And oftentimes feeling obligated mm. to be there for them. Yeah. True. And so that's my concern with that term vulnerable because mm-hmm. it is it is going to have, whether people realize it or not, it's going to have a subconscious impact on how they 
um, on how they internally respond to the to the narcissist. And so I mm -hmm. think that using that is just going to perpetuate the problem of people staying in these relationships and not getting out. Oh, that's what I was going to say earlier. See, it, mm -hmm. it always works. It always comes back. Yeah, is that, always. <laughs> is that even when people realize that they are with, that they're with someone who is treating them poorly, let's say on the, on the light end of the scale, you know, mm -hmm. they've gotten to the point where they're like, oh man, this person, something's wrong. This person's really treating me poorly. Um, mm -hmm. The other end is they know that they're a narcissist. Um, right. Even once people realize that they don't leave mm. because they are for, for any number of reasons, you know, they're comfortable with the person or they, um, they feel, you know, compassion for the person and they feel, and so because of their compassion and their empathy, they feel this need to take care of them, to be there for them. Um, mm -hmm. or they, uh, I mean, they, they, you know, they just feel in love with them. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, this can be, this can be in terms of, uh, other relationships too. It's not, I'm not, when I'm talking about these things, I'm not always, I'm not just talking about romantic right. relationships. Of you know, these dynamics are present even in um, parent-child relationships, you know, at work with a colleague, a boss, or someone who works, you know, for you, uh, mm -hmm. friends, mm -hmm. um, neighbors, mm -hmm. you know, so, right. um, yeah, but where, oh, so, yeah, I was talking about the, the vulnerable, so I'm not crazy about that, I prefer to refer to the, to the, like have the category of type of narcissist fall under covert versus overt. Um, mm -hmm. Covert being, overt being like more like the um, uh, narcissistic personality disorder description, which is, you know, they're more charming. They're, they seem more extroverted. They are, mm -hmm. um, they're the ones who just really draw you in. And um, the covert being, ones that are more quiet um mm. you know some people are like oh more sneaky but the reality is they're either one it's with either one it sneaks up on you you don't you know you don't see it coming but right. they're definitely different different behaviors and different of um of the characteristics that um that happen between those two types and it's not even mm. necessarily that one type uses certain tactics and another type uses certain tactics. Um, I mean, there could be some of that, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, sometimes it's just how, you know, like, uh, like the tone of voice or, you mm. know, their mannerisms, how it comes across. Right. Right. And I feel like we don't hear about, you know, the covert narcissist as often, or it's not just, you know, what we kind of think of mm -hmm. when we yeah. think of classic narcissist. So that's, that's great to kind of make that distinction as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where did you want to unpack a little bit more about like the um well your book? I mean I'm fascinated with that. Well, the book is just like all of this stuff that I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just just in much more in more detail. Um right. But with like the shark and I, I love yeah. the metaphor that you use. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I like it too. I hope you know <laughs> I hope it'll be effective. Um, yeah, I think I guess, it resonates. Yeah, I guess time will tell. I mean, you know, <laughs> these are things that 
this is a concept that I see, you know, it, I, I believe that it could change the world because mm -hmm. I, I believe that, I believe that pathological narcissism is essentially the root of most issues in the world, most major issues. I mean, you know, we're mm -hmm. dealing with um, Russia and Ukraine. I mean, that's, it's very clearly if, if right. Putin were not a pathological narcissist, then uh -huh. there would be no war right now. Um, right. You know, our uh, last president is an mm -hmm. excellent example of a pathological narcissist mm -hmm. and all the conflict that happened, you know, I mean, the storming the Capitol, all of that mm -hmm. was rooted in pathological narcissism. Mm. So, yeah. Right. So, so, you know, the idea of getting people to start thinking of narcissists as sharks. Um, well, I do believe that, you know, this and, and other, you know, knowledge um, could literally change the world. I recognize that it, it's not something that will happen quickly. You know, it's, it's sure. be something that has to um, kind of soak in and kind of be, passed yeah, down generations you know so yeah it's, but not, I think it's, it's not it's not a major change that I will see in my lifetime <laughs> well oh, yeah but I think it's just you know starting with the awareness piece and I think that that's what we're talking about and in, in you're writing about which is amazing because I think there's also a lot of misperceptions I'm sure you always come across them as well where people are calling someone a narcissist that isn't actually it's kind of an overused term sometimes as well yeah um mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a little underused too. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, right. Or even just like misused, I guess. Yeah, yes, for sure. I mean, yeah. There like someone's a narcissist because they uh, post pictures of themselves or someone's a narcissist because they, you know, right. things like that, I feel. Yeah, no, that doesn't mean someone's a narcissist. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. But I think, and I think that's, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, people aren't really they don't really understand what it is a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. You know, I think the distinguishing factor that makes someone a narcissist is their interpersonal relationships and how they treat other people. That mm -hmm. is how you tell someone's a narcissist. That's a good point. Even from a clinical perspective, it's very difficult to realize when a narcissist comes in as a patient and they're not come, you know, they don't come in. They, I mean, like maybe, I, and this is, I'm just throwing a number out. Mm -hmm. This is not based on anything other than just <laughs> in my head right now. Like right. half a percent of narcissists who go to therapy, you know, might be right. going because they've heard that they're narcissists. Um, uh -huh. There may be a statistic out there. I just am not aware of it. But, yeah. mm -hmm. um, but, but anyway, um, where was I going with that? Um, like their behavior. It's really about their interpersonal. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. yes. So even when they come into therapy, we as therapists struggle to identify, you know, it, 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 I know that there are psychologists who do, you know, extensive testing and mm -hmm. can, um, can identify through extensive testing, but you know, we don't have any quick, short tests that you can just hand a narcissist and they'll be like, yeah, yeah you know, like I'm a narcissist. Right. Um, so usually the way we identify it in, you know, from the therapy chair is recognizing um, how we are reacting to the person. Mm. So when we're working with someone and we find ourselves exhausted afterwards, mm -hmm. or we find ourselves getting worked up or agitated or mm. impatient, or, you know, I'm sure there are other, you know, different ways that different therapists react, 
but Mm -hmm. you know, we have to, we learn to pay attention to our own, um, you know, the way we experience. Yeah. Our own counter transference um, is our term, you know, the, the way that we react to the other to the patient. Um, and that's usually how we, um, can, can potentially tell. I think that I doubt that it can really be confirmed um, without talking to the the person's significant other or child or mm. other you know primary relationships and hearing how those people are treated by that person. I think mm-hmm. that that's the key to identifying a narcissist is how they treat other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking oh, like, in the mirror and taking selfies and posting selfies does not make someone a narcissist because you heard it here nothing, first. Right. <laughs> that has nothing to do with their with their interpersonal interaction. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of those interpersonal interactions, I know I know one part of it is right is the empathy, right, or the lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but let can we get into some more of those? And I think that circles back to the beginning with like the themes that you see. Um, the manipulation, like what are some of those interpersonal um, behaviors that would happen with a narcissist, pathological narcissist? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. So one of the defining characteristics of a pathological narcissist is a um, either a lack of empathy or an empathy deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, I also introduced the term in, um, in my book, empathy atypical. Ooh. Um, cool. because yeah, cause we, uh, we use that terminology, you know, for like our brains and mm-hmm. other, you know, other things in, in the counseling world. So I was like, Hey, I think that this works because, yeah. um, they are, they, some, they can have certain types of empathy or they can experience some empathy, but it's not your typical empathy. Um, mm. and so, some people say they have zero empathy, uh, I think that's more of a psychopath, um, mm-hmm. you know, sociopath or psychopathic narcissist. Um, but your average narcissist, I would, I would prefer to say that they are empathy deficient or empathy atypical. So they're, mm-hmm. they struggle with identifying um, the emotions and feelings of other people and understanding those feelings as though they could have them as well. Mm. I think some of that is because oftentimes, you know, when we're empathic, we're being empathic towards feelings that are difficult to have, you know, so sadness, Mm. grief, um, ones that are, are difficult to sit with and most narcissists avoid experiencing those types of emotions mm-hmm. so it's kind of right. hard to relate if you don't have them to begin with that makes sense that makes sense so that would be that would be one thing so like empathy atypical mm-hmm. or lacking in empathy uh-huh yep yeah so that that definitely impacts you know relationships because they if, if you know if you're in a relationship with someone and you can't identify what they're feeling um or relate to what they're feeling, then it's really hard to communicate in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, right. it's, it's hard to, they're not going to think to say, oh yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from or yeah, that makes sense or, right, you know. 
put themselves in your shoes or yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep and then because they're so insecure just sitting and listening like active listening is is something that's difficult um mm. because it means that you're usually listening to someone talking about you <laughs> and, and <laughs> ways that you've upset them um, right and that's threatening you know here we go with the bubble wrap again you know mm-hmm. and putting you know trying to hold people off because you know you're you gotta put, put your arms out hold people off because they're getting too close um right fragile sense of self um mm-hmm. so you know if they're not if they are um if they are not wanting to sit and communicate and listen then they if they're not wanting to sit and listen then they're not going to communicate back and forth and it's just going to end up being a one oftentimes a one-way conversation where they are um like deflecting is another Mm. tactic um so you can think of that in terms of like uh like a bullet you know like gets deflected Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going in a trajectory of one direction, hits something, and then bounces off into another direction. Right. Um, So if I'm talking to a narcissist and I'm saying something like, hey, this, um, you know, it really upset me when you said this, Um, deflecting would be, you know, that's coming at them, but then they're going to shoot it off somewhere else, usually at someone else, Mm. could sometimes back at me, you know, so maybe like, well, no, I didn't like when you said this. Um, right. And so mm-hmm. I call it deflect and distract because it's a distraction mm-hmm. technique. They're deflecting it back onto someone else. Um, right. In order to distract me from focusing on what they said that bothered me. Now I'm focusing on defending myself. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they deflected it off to someone else, then that would be like scapegoating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I'm focusing on, I'm distracted by them blaming someone else. So, right. You know, scapegoating is a good one. I definitely talked a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Um, so is that, is that pretty common then with pathological narcissism that sometimes it includes scapegoating? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that in, in my own clinical work, the, the most common times I have, um, I've heard of that have uh, been when patients are describing what their childhood was like Mm. and um, either them being scapegoated by the narcissistic parent or a sibling being scapegoated. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the other partner is scapegoated. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I have definitely heard the most of is is one of the children when, when there are siblings, one of the children being um, sort of a chosen scapegoat. Mm. Right. And that can be extremely damaging. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To to both, to both children. Yeah. Even if you're not the scapegoated one, it it makes you feel unsafe. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess there's like the golden child and all of this triangulation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I said the word safe, you know, that's an important word here. Um, Mm. That's what happens in these relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, especially for children when they're growing up with a narcissist is they aren't 
allowed they are not not allowed but they they aren't um uh well for lack of a better word they aren't allowed or able to experience what it's like to feel safe um Mm -hmm. you know a healthy relationship with parents and children you know children are meant to not have to be afraid of anything they're meant to feel completely safe with their parents you know run run to Mm -hmm. their parents bed in the middle of the night and be comforted and loved um mm-hmm. you know have warmth uh you know warm reception to them but when you you know grow up with a, nar- a narcissist your entire life and so then your worldview becomes one of uh, a lack of safety and so mm-hmm. when they become adults they will continue in relationships where they don't feel safe because and this sounds like it contradicts itself, but because they feel comfortable with the feeling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it becomes a comfort zone. Mm -hmm. If if they are in a relationship, that's a health, that's more of a healthy one and they do feel safe. That's really uncomfortable. A lot of times they'll Mm -hmm. run away from things like from relationships like that. So the lack of safety comes from what would you say? Uh, well, I mean, just every, the narcissist as a whole, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's the inconsistency, mm-hmm. it's the lack of, um, the, the lack of love, you know, when right. we talk about parenting styles, you know, we talk about authoritative, authoritarian, mm-hmm. um, you know, health, where you provide structure, but also warmth. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of narcissists will be more of the authoritarian right. type parents or the, what's the name of the third one where you're totally... I know, I'm just, I'm trying to think about it from my, um, LCSW exam last year. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. It's, it's, well, I'll just describe it. it it's, you know, it, it's the third type of parenting is when you're hands off and it's, it's like negligent parenting, basically, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of mm-hmm. just, yes. the kids do whatever and there's no structure. Um, mm-hmm. Authoritarian, a lot of times there's way too much structure. Um, that third one is is no structure. Is more um, like hands-off, yeah. Yeah, and so that also creates uh, a lack of safety. Children, um, mm. yeah, even like though sometimes they don't. Yeah, sometimes they don't, they say, they see it, they don't think they realize, they don't realize that they want it, but they do want structure. Right, right. But yeah, so... So yeah, I think yeah, being in in those situations um, and growing up like that. Mm-hmm. So like, how does one begin this healing journey? I mean, let's say they're in this kind of a relationship or with their parent, and they realize this is what's going on or has been. Like, what does that kind of look like, or what could that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, how does one begin their healing journey? Um, mm-hmm. So. That's that's uh, that's a chapter um, that I st- I still have a little bit of tweaking to do in my book, but <laughs> um, but you know what I talk about it's the the way I see it is I think that there are three steps to healing. The first step being knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, and and so gaining knowledge in all different types of ways, um, and the second being acceptance, mm-hmm. and the third being forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I, I talk about is that um, it's this concept of 
forgiveness being a noun instead of a verb. Um, oh, wow. You know, I mean, we're, we're told, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially people who grew up in, um, you know, in a religious um, household, especially like a Christian household, you know, are told to forgive, 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 you know, you have to forgive. And it's like this right. thing that you're supposed to do, but no one tells you how to do mm-hmm. it. Like, how does one forgive? Like, there are no instructions out there. Right, um, right. There's just this expectation that you're going to magically forgive. And as though it is this thing that you do, you know, like, like an action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an action, like going to sit on the couch, like, <laughs> well, I'm going to go forgive them. Like, right. It's, it's uh-huh. not that easy. No. So the, I think um, that forgiveness is actually a consequence of acceptance. So to mm. me, the action is accepting, working, and that's, that's a process. That's mm. not something that's just going to happen. Right. Um, but I think that when you accept, um, and this is not just for narcissists, this is for anything in our lives. This is also for ourselves. When we truly and fully accept something in our life or someone or, or, you know, something about ourselves or how someone has treated us, once we've accepted that, then I think forgiveness just happens. It just mm-hmm. comes. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that makes sense. So someone would work through these kind of, I mean, I guess you could do that in therapy, ideally mm-hmm. healing. Um, yeah. Which is kind of working through starting with the knowledge piece. Yes. And I think that, you know, it look, let's say you have people listening to this who are like, oh my gosh, uh, there's a narcissist in my life. You know, I need to mm-hmm. go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing to, to, that I really want to caution people about is to make sure your therapist understands narcissism. Mm. This is not a topic that is adequately, if covered at all, it is not adequately covered in our master's degree programs. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's definitely not. Even doctoral level programs, you know, and so we're, you know, we're severely lacking in education in this, in this area. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really it's not through a fault of the therapist, them, the therapists themselves. Uh, it is mm-hmm. simply that, um, that, you know, they're, they're, they're not trained in it. It's also something that's not, you know, in the front of people's minds, you know, there's, there's a lot of focus on like depression, anxiety, and trauma, you know, and, and mm-hmm. other things. Um, but, but not, not narcissism, not narcissism and not narcissistic abuse. Um, and of course, focusing on narcissism, you're, you know, because there, there, there are a lot of experts out there in pathological narcissism. It's something that has, um, you know, that there's re- been a lot of, you know, plenty, not, not a ton, but plenty of research uh, done on for, you know, decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a whole other ball game when you're, looking at narcissistic abuse and you're talking about two different people, you know, you're talking about the narcissist versus the, the victim of Mm -hmm. the narcissistic abuse. Um, So if someone wants counseling, check to see, you know, is this counselor familiar? You know, if you see someone you like, you know, reach out to them and ask ahead of time, like, you know, you're, you're hiring someone to, you know, provide a service to you and you, you know, you have to make sure that, they're providing a good service to you, you know, uh, absolutely uh, coming from, you know, coming from an educated place on what you 
need um, because otherwise they can do more damage than good. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, right. unfortunately, they, I mean, and especially when it comes to couples therapy, mm-hmm. first of all, it's almost like pointless. Like with, you mean with like a, in this kind of situation, it's like narcissist yeah. abuse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Couples therapy is great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's been one of my specialties too. I love oh, couples cool. therapy. Yeah, but when awesome. it comes to with a narcissist. Right. Oh, I can't even imagine what that would look like. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I've had some. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. it's a, yeah. yeah. Um, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, you're just not going to get anywhere. And unfortunately, if, if a therapist is not really well attuned to the idea of one of the um, partners being a narcissist, then they are likely to, um, inadvertently, you know, I mean, again, they're not trying to do this. This is purely accidental, but they're likely to gaslight you, you know, Mm -hmm. by saying, well, are you sure? Like, you know, are you sure that that's how it happened? Or like, okay, well, what about his perception or try to put yourself in his shoes? Oh my gosh. That's another Mm -hmm. thing. It's like, like telling someone to be more empathic and try to better understand the narcissist, like, gosh. Like in terms of me, you know, continuing in the relationship, like that's right. No, 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 we don't. No, we don't want to put them <laughs> in that position. Um, no, definitely not. But I've seen therapists do that. And mm. um, it's, you know, it's very, it's very damaging. So you need to make sure a therapist knows what they're doing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also educate yourself. But mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I recommend Dr. Romney because I know that her stuff is is good. Even though you know there might be a few little things that I like terminology that I have different views on, um, mm-hmm. but but I you know I trust I trust her um, the most. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, so so when you're educating yourself, be careful what you're looking at. Um, one of mm-hmm. my therapists sent me an article yesterday that I. Uh, I got to the third paragraph and I was like, I'm not reading this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, th- you know, they're just, they, they don't know what they're talking about. There's, I mean, they're sitting there saying like, you're not a narcissist unless you have narcissistic personality disorder traits. Like, oh. you know, it's just, so be careful what you're reading out there. Right. Basically. right, right, right. No, that makes sense. And is there like anything else that somebody should look at or do, I guess, like, like, okay, I'm starting a therapy journey. Should I, in the meantime, do I stay in this relationship well, or, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, one thing, don't ever tell the narcissist that they are a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh, a good one. Don't, yeah, don't use that. Don't use Imagine that. Imagine that would not go over very well. Right. Um, I mean, you can do things like, you know, you can, you can name the behavior, like you're being antagonistic right now, like cut it out, you know, or you're, um, uh, you're, you're being manipulative or whatever they're doing, you know, it's much better to focus on naming behaviors than it is Mm -hmm. labeling a person. Um, Right. But, uh, but yeah, so I have a different take on things in my book than other ones that I've read. Um, Mm -hmm. So aside from it being relationship neutral and gender neutral, um, Mm -hmm. because I, you know, a lot, uh, you'll go, you'll read one, you'll read some and they're like, well, we're going to talk about, you know, I'm going to use he throughout the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. Most, you know, most of them, you know, narcissistic partners, or if it's about, you know, parents, like I'm going to use she because 
there's a, a big focus on mothers who are narcissists. Um, mm-hmm. And, but then what about the people who have, you know, what about the people mm-hmm. who have a partner who's, um, you know, who's a female, like they're going to read through that book and they're not going to re- relate as well. Right. So um, also, you know, just given, um, just trying to be culturally uh, conscious mm. and aware. Um, so, so there's the, you know, it's gender neutral, but the other piece that's very, that is very different is I highly emphasize that not everyone is going to be ready to leave and that that is okay. Mm-hmm. There right. is, right. and that's one thing that, that, that I struggle with seeing like on social media and in articles is a heavy, heavy push to leave mm. and never is anyone ready to do not. I have never had a patient come in who is ready to leave. Right. Right. And sometimes they don't, they, sometimes they never leave or sometimes mm-hmm. they want to wait until their kids are 18. Um, mm-hmm. There are so many different factors, but when you put a lot of pressure on the idea of leaving, um, that makes people feel like they're doing when they don't, when they don't want to, that makes them feel like they're doing something wrong mm. or something's deficient in them. So, right. so I like, I, I take the perspective, you know, I have two, you know, two different, well, actually three different perspectives I present, you know, when you want to keep treading water, you know, you want to stay in the water with the shark. Okay. Like, uh-huh. you, stay, you know, here's what you need to do. So I, you know, outline, um, different steps to take and, and how to help, you know, essentially how to help survive while staying mm. in the water. Um, right. And then, you know, another chapter that talks about what to do if you, you know, want to reel yourself out of the water um, mm-hmm. and get away from the shark and what to do to survive that because um, very rarely is it a circumstance where you can simply cut ties and never have anything to do with them ever again Mm -hmm. Um, well and like making that you know also like that's part of the process and that's that's okay you can still do work on this on your own even if you're not ready yeah exactly um and then the third is one foot in one foot out you know where Mm -hmm. you're just not sure like you you feel Mm -hmm. like you need to leave but then you don't really want to and Mm -hmm. so you're kind of you know in a place of limbo where you don't you're just not sure what you want to do yet so Mm -hmm. um so, so I, you know, I walk people through, you know, first and most importantly, validating each place mm-hmm. um, and letting people know that wherever they are, that's okay. Um, right. And to not let anyone else pressure them or tell them that they should be doing something differently or to feel bad about um, the choice that they're making. They can only make that choice for mm-hmm. themselves. And I imagine um, that would also be counterproductive too, if they left because someone else told them to, and then they would probably just end up going back or you know, mm-hmm. else. Right. Yeah. A lot of times you'll, uh, people will cut pe- other people out of the, and so they become more alienated mm. from, from their support system mm-hmm. because their support system isn't actually supporting them. Right. Um, and so they don't want to have to hear it. So, mm. they, you know, they talk to them less and less and, and then their, you know, their world revolves more and more around the narcissist. So it just right. makes it even worse, even worse danger yeah Yeah. wow I mean this is great stuff I mean I know people listening are really going to learn a lot from this episode and well I hope so I feel I feel like the hour flew by and I could I know I get there's so much more probably maybe we need to do a part two (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like I keep going for another eight hours or something. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that this will generate a lot of questions as well. And then, yeah, maybe we will need to do another part. Your wealth of information. So I really appreciate you coming on here and letting us into this. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. I would love to do a follow-up. I'd love to hear questions that your listeners have. And um, I, I actually do, I feel like I do much better with just questions or, you know, even describing scenarios and, you know, naming what I'm seeing, um, Mm -hmm. that my brain works well with that. Um, perfect. So we can get some questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. I love that. So yeah. And and thank you so much for inviting me on today. Of course. Where can everybody uh, find you? Uh, so you can go to well, I have a link tree that is probably mm-hmm. the best option. So mm-hmm. link tree um, slash Alina, A-L-E-N-A dot Shiano, S-C-I-G-L-I-A-N-O. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll link that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll have every. So that'll connect people to, to my Instagram um, and my website. And I have like a couple of resources on there and a TikTok, which is weird for me. <laughs> got a TikTok. That's great. Got to check that out. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's that's a good. I'm not dancing though. I'm not a dancing therapist. Hey, you don't got to dance to be on there, right? <laughs> I, I'm dancing behind the camera, but of not, course, not of in course. front of the camera. <laughs> that's great. And then, of course, your book will at some point come out, and I'm looking yeah. for that. Yes. Yeah. I have, I have a thing on there so people can go on and um, leave their information and I will give updates on the publishing of that. Um, Amazing. So yeah. So if they want to know when that comes out, because there are so many more things in there that I wish I could like jam pack into an hour, but yes. Right. Of course. It's going to be a process, but Great. Well, this is the gr- a great first episode, and I know we'll talk again and hopefully record again soon. Sounds good. And thank you again so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you, you know, listeners for uh, listening. And I, I can't yeah. wait to, to hear from you, hear your questions, and feel free to, you know, pop on over to my Instagram and leave comments or questions. And um, I'll Amazing. be happy to answer there. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Sounds good. And have a great day. Thanks. You too, Emma. Thanks. Bye. Bye.